Today in the show, we have Jessica Vanderhoek. She is the owner of Prairie Sky Equine Assisted Therapy and is running a PTSI OSI program for first responders and military personnel at no cost. So listen to the show and see what you think. And uh, if you would like to participate in that program, the program is facilitated by a first responder and a psychologist and runs twice a week for three weeks. To become enrolled or for more information, just email Jessica at info at pseat.ca. That's info at p-s-e-a-t dot c-a. Info at papa, sierra, echo, alpha, tango dot c-a. And give it a whirl. Tango Romeo, we are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making help for PTS injuries easily accessible with a vision of a world where the path to recovery is clear. I am your OPSO, Mark Meinke, and this is Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. And I forgot to hit that button. Now we're rolling on both of them. Perfect. So we are Facebook living today, uh, live streaming. To get a hold of Jessica Vanderhoek, we'll have everything in the show notes, and uh, plus we'll talk about that uh, w- when we close out. But I am so glad to have you back, yeah, my dear friend Jessica Vanderhoek. <laughs> yeah. um, you were here in the beginning, yes, uh, episode number fourteen, uh, when nobody knew what the heck Operation Tangle Romeo was, and now a year and a half later, we are in forty-seven different countries, over ten thousand downloads, um, plus about another hundred thousand views uh, from all the Facebook lives. It's amazing. So it's coming along. The network is growing, and people are getting helped more and more and more and more and more and more. Yep. So um, last time we were on here, we did a couple of different shows. We're just going to do it all here this time. Yep. And. Uh, talk more about psychedelics because tomorrow we're going to have Dr. Rob Tangway and Theo Fleury on the show together. Yep. Um, And Theo shared last time he was in studio that right now in in his healing after 10,000 hours and $1 million of conventional therapy, uh, he's ready for the next step. And the universe has been telling him that the next step for him is psychedelics. And it's for myself, um, uh, my own journey, psilocybin, Although I don't know if I'm doing it right, but it's working. And it's the only thing that's um, given me relief from so many different things. Um, suicidal ideations, uh, they, they take a hike, you know, uh, like they've been gone for a while for the most part. Um, depression sy- symptoms, so much. Mm-hmm. Now, in the beginning, how did you discover psychedelics? How did that start for you? So it's interesting you say that, and I kind of want to just say something. I've been following Theo for a while now. And in my heart, I was hoping that at some point he would turn the psychedelic route because I always felt like so much of his suffering could be healed and relieved with psychedelics. So I'm really excited to hear that he's going to go down that road or looking at it anyways. Um, So I got into psychedelics because um, I was it was either do that or die. So I was originally diagnosed with PTSD in 2011. I went back to work in 2013 and then I relapsed in 2014. And the relapse was far worse than the original diagnosis. 
So my relapse consisted of um, pretty much the loss of everything in my life. Um, my home, I was an alcoholic for two years. Uh, I was chronically suicidal and had a couple of failed suicide attempts. And as a paramedic, like, we know how to kill ourselves. So the fact that I survived them was pretty, pretty profound. Um, wasn't your time. Wasn't my time. No, it wasn't. And so I, it sort of, I'd made a contract with myself that if tomorrow was worse than today, that I didn't need to do this anymore. So I started exploring, looking at doing ayahuasca because I was out of options. I had literally tried everything. And with the exception of working with horses um, and doing a lot of spiritual work, that really pushed me to to look at this. But nothing else was working. Did you have any help or any relief from conventional therapy? Nope. Nope. I mean, I'll give my psychologist credit. He definitely could see something in me that I couldn't see. And, and that gave me some some motivation to keep trying and it was really nice to have him to talk to because I felt like he genuinely cared and he wanted to see me succeed but as far as like reduction and and relief of symptoms and actual healing work none of that was happening with conventional means you know the antidepressants the therapy you know I tried ART I tried hypnosis um, pretty much anything that anybody could come up with I would try so I started exploring that I would say 2016 and then the opportunity to go to Mexico came up to do like a full week long retreat. Um, and ayahuasca. Yeah. So ayahuasca was just one of the medicines that I did. Okay. Um, it started out with Cambo, which is the poison off the back of a frog. <laughs> and the reason for Cambo is it creates this huge purge. So they burn these little dots into your skin and then they lay the medicine down that, on these that's dots. That's DMT, isn't it? Nope, not that one. I, oh. But I will get to that one. Okay. Yeah. Um, I thought frogs and DMT, but I guess there's more than one. Yes. Yeah. All right. Frogs are pretty powerful. So, uh, yeah. So that was a big purge. So that just looked like sitting on the toilet with a puke bucket on your lap for four hours. Because <laughs> you're waving to everybody else. It's like <laughs> explosive diarrhea. <laughs> That's the type of uh, story where people go, yeah, I'll pass. Yeah, I'll pass. Yeah, yeah no I, thanks. I swear to God, I was never going to do it again. I'm not, I'll do it again, but ooh. It's for a reason though, isn't it? So it purges your system so that when you do do the other plant medicines, that your system is ready to fully take them. There's nothing blocking it. So Cambo is a big energetic and um, physical cleanse. So it just preps your body to be able to receive the medicine and, and make the most of it. Um, so then we did ayahuasca, which is a source of DMT. Yeah. And that was profound. Um, the next night or two nights later, we did a medicine called Samadhi. And it's not well known, but it is the lover medicine and ayahuasca is like the mother medicine. So ayahuasca is the mother that's sort of teaching you lessons about yourself. And samadhi is more of the lover. So it's more of like an embrace. And so I did those and I was still really having issues because my ego was just flared up and wouldn't shut down. So what that looked like for me was like constant thoughts, just ridiculously stupid thoughts going through my mind that just would not stop. So you know how you just showed me that little ticker on the bottom of the screen? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how I, I 
use that as an example. It's all, it's that ticker tape of thoughts that are constantly running through your brain. Yeah. That's your ego. It's not actually you, but we identify with it. We think that those are our thoughts. We've created them. They're us. And that is me. But in actuality, most of that is your ego. And the point to like things like meditation and mindfulness is to become aware of that ticker tape of thoughts. There's different definitions of ego, depending on who you talk to. There's more of a spiritual one. And that's uh, the one I'm talking about. I, I like the Eckhart Tolle uh, way of framing it. How would you describe ego? So ego to me is a compensatory mechanism for trauma. And it is like a weed that instills a deep set of roots. And what it wants to do is it wants you to identify with it. And it wants to keep you, quote unquote, safe. So it keeps you in this little box. And as long as we don't leave this box, everything's fine. And as soon as that little box is threatened, alarm bells go off and you start having these stories associated with things. And you start having these constant thoughts. And that can lead to anxiety, that can lead to, you know, exacerbate depression. Um, and even in extreme cases, it can cause psychosis right? Because it's just this constant talking in your mind and you're like, where is this coming from? So like I said, most of us associate that chatter as us and, and those stories as us. But if you think about it, you think about a traumatic event that you had in your life, there's a whole story that you tell yourself around it, right? And that story keeps you linked to that event. You just gave me something to add to my coaching program that I'm building. Yeah. Um, it's a three-step program. And I shouldn't interject like, no, but, I, but, but, but it feels like this, uh, this is working. Yeah. Um, step one is, know, is to know yourself. Yes, it's so important. And I'm trying to break that into as many sections as, as is required. <clears throat> but understanding the difference between you and your ego yeah. is, uh, is, a big, is a big part of that. Huge. It's everything. Because once you understand that, your ego no longer has power over you, right? You can start coming from a place of of your soul instead of your trauma. Almost everything that, um, that I've learned or I hear other people learning or, or <laughs> teaching is all about awareness. Mm-hmm. And awareness creates, is the healing. Yeah. Awareness is everything. Because once you're aware of it, you can choose to respond to it differently. The thing about ego is it tells us these stories about ourselves that aren't true. So when you For have, example. For example, I'm horrible. The world will be a better place without me. I'm weak. I suck. I'll never be successful. I'll never have money. I'll never find true love. All of that is your ego. That's... Um the most dangerous spot for suicidal ideations exactly. is if you get to the point where you where you think that, especially if you're a self-sacrificing, salt, fall on the sword kind of person. Which most of us are in this community. Which we are. Um, if you really believe that my children are better off without me, mm-hmm. my wife's better off without me, the world is better off without me, I'm doing more harm than good, which is totally understandable yeah. why, uh, why somebody would be there. And then you couple that with there's no way out. There is no healing because I just spent three years in therapy and fuck all happened. Yeah. Um, There's your suicide. Exactly. So what we need to understand, especially for men, that when you hear those negative thoughts, they're not the truth. They're not your truth. It's your ego telling you things about yourself that aren't true. 
People talk about wrestling with demons. Yeah, and that's that demon the is demon. <laughs> that demon is, is is the ego. It is, and it and I, I also want to a to degree make, to a degree because the thing about ego is it has kept us alive to this point, right? It has served us a purpose, so we don't want to demonize ego because then we are still giving it power, mm. and that's that's the that's not the place we want to operate from. the The place we want to operate from is awareness and understanding. I'm aware of my ego, and I understand that it thinks it's trying to keep me safe. That awareness, I, I love, and I when I first read it, I thought it was the most important book ever written, and it was A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he also did uh, The Power of Now, but with A New Earth, I, it, it feels like he's beaten a dead horse a little bit. Uh, forgive, forgive the expression. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, but when I was done it and then I listened to the audio book and then plus read it again, I was like, oh, he's not beating a dead horse. It takes repetition to get a depth of understanding of the concept that he, of the way he frames ego, which is not exactly the same as Freudian framing of ego. Mm -hmm. And he describes it as a demon on one shoulder, uh, an angel on the other, like the old cartoons, you know, and, um, and and that really is what it feels like to me. Like the ego is a sentient, sentient, separate, uh, foreign Mm -hmm. and and unfriendly uh, adversary Mm -hmm. that is constantly whispering the wrong shit in your ear. And when we are exposed, like you have seen the devil, I've seen the devil, right? And when, if, if anybody doesn't understand what I'm saying, when I say that, you are lucky. Yeah. I just got, did you get the chills? I get the chills. Um, you are so lucky if you don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. So it doesn't matter if you frame the devil as a dude with a pitchfork and a tail and horns, or if it's a metaphorical, uh, representation of, of what the devil is. When I say that Jessica and I have seen the fucking devil, and I know that you have, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because uh, we've seen the work, yep. we've seen the footprints, we've seen yep. the aftermath, the carnage, yep. um, and in different ways. Uh, you've seen the abuse, the evil yep. that, that has happened, um, true malevolence, yep. that so many people that live a world that is naive, that do not understand it's the blue pill or the red pill. It's right? blue pill, red pill. Yep. And the people that haven't seen it can't fucking grasp it. No. So if they see it for the first time thinking it doesn't exist, that's somebody that's very likely to have PTSD Yeah. because they have, um, they had this Pollyanna kind of view of the world and then they see true evil. Yeah. Fucking the real deal. And I don't care if you're religious. I don't care if you um, believe in heaven and hell or damnation or any of that. But you have to believe in the in the devil or your head's up your ass. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, lucky you if you've never had to deal with it. Yeah. I can't say that that's my reality, right? No. And so the exposure to that for some people is so such a shock to their psyche that that, that is a reality that exists in this dimension. It's just, yeah, it knocks them off their feet because everything that they believe to be true is now no longer true, right? 
And that's why it's good to not sugarcoat that shit. Nope. At the same time, we got to walk this line. Like on this show, I don't do war porn. Yep. Right. I don't get into uh, the nitty gritty. But at the same time, I want to have Paul Brandt on to talk about child gra- trafficking. Because mm-hmm. uh, our brain will reject the idea that there are people, there are men who penetrate three-year-olds. Mm-hmm. This fucking happens. It is beyond my ability to grasp. Yep. But it happens. And uh, if that's not the devil, I don't know what the fuck no, is. that's exactly. There is hell on this earth. It already exists. It's not a place we go to when we die because we've, you know, disobeyed the Lord. <laughs> it's It already exists on this planet in this lifetime. So it's up to us as human beings to decide what reality we want to live in and awareness is the key to all of it because I mean you and I could choose to exist to live in a place of anger and hate and fear where because of what we know we are just constantly controlled by that but you and I have made a conscious choice to not live like that we love we love other people we we engage we try and uplift people and and we try and make the world a better place and we believe that there are really great, amazing people and that there's also heaven on earth, you know? So we choose to to elevate ourselves. And I, and I really think that that's the most important thing, especially right now. We need more people that are doing that, so. The, um, the COVID, it's been hard. Oh, it's been brutal. And it's... Um it's 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 interesting to me. There's so many people that have seen the devil many times, mm-hmm. but even the, but there's people in our community that still won't say that he exists. Yeah, you know, the, um, it's a like a defense mechanism. Yeah. Um, there was an episode of Mash where uh, uh, they're they're on this bus and they had to stay quiet and. Um, uh, it's like I keep having nightmares about this because the lady was holding this chicken, and but the chicken was clucking and wouldn't fucking shut up, and uh, so she smothered the chicken. And I was like, "Well, it's just a chicken, you know, no big deal." It wasn't a goddamn chicken; it was a baby. Uh, but it was, it was so horrible that his uh, brain flipped it, right? Yeah. And so eventually, when he's able to see, but his brain blocked it. He couldn't. His brain's like, "No, no, 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 no. Yep. You can't see this." Yeah. And my brain did that. Too, in Croatia, mm-hmm. I saw a, uh, a torso. Uh, no, I said uh, no war porn, but I won't get into the, the grueling. Mm-hmm. But a, a torso, no head, no arms, no legs, just a charred toast torso in a, in a garbage dump. My brain, is, like, soon as I was like, well, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. You know, and my brain went, nope, 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 flipped it. Yep. And it was a pig. Yeah. And, and it stayed a pig until a few years ago. Um, uh, a brother that uh, was there with me, and there's other body parts. There's hands and feet. It was fucking weird, but uh, we went to the to the, before we went on a hunting trip. We went to the landfill site yeah. in Okotoks here, yeah. and he was just off, right? And I was like, do 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 do, because my my blockers in there in the landfill site doesn't bother me at all. And yeah. we 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 clear out the truck before we go to hook up to the holiday trailer. He's like, oh man, I still can't stand going to the dump. I was, why? And he looked at me with horror, like, what do you mean why? Yeah, you, you were, were there. Sta- you were right there. What do you mean why? And then all of a sudden, uh, then he said, the, the dump at Packrats. And then the curtain opened up. Ooh. And I went, fuck. 
<laughs> there it is. I can't, I can't hide it anymore. Nope. But the brain does that. And even in our community, what you and I know is real, even those that have seen it will still say, what, do you, what are you talking about? Yep. Yep. Because it's too much to face. It's too much to face. But the thing about that is that the body will store it regardless it will hide it somewhere deep inside mm. of you and it will hold on to it. And it will come up at some point in time because yeah. your body stores trauma. So that's one of the really amazing things about working with psychedelics is that that allows the wall that we build up between our understanding of that event and being able to process it and pack it in a way that is no longer traumatizing. Because the idea is to process it and pack it in a way that serves us that it becomes an event we experienced and not a trauma mm-hmm. that we now have an attachment to it's uh, an emotional st- charge to st- stepping back into the observer mode like you're watching a movie yeah. as opposed to being a participant exactly so that's what psychedelics allow us to do it allows us to pull ourselves out not have that emotional or energy charge to the event and process it and finally put it to bed and release those emotions because our body stores trauma and our body stores unwitnessed emotion. And what I mean by that is, is that can be anger. It can be rage. It can be fear. It can be grief. Any of those things. If we don't take the time to process them in a healthy way and in a mindful way where we're fully present with them um, our body will store it and it will collect compound interest, right? And you oh, and I both know that. It's yeah. much harder to deal with it two, three years down the road, 10 years down the road than it is to deal with it at the time. So what I tell people, when you have what, you're, what you believe to be a negative emotion, I've come to the realization that there are no negative emotions. Is what we choose to do with them that can potentially make them negative. And I'll use rage as an example. Rage is a perfectly normal emotion. There is nothing wrong with rage. Rage is a message to us, telling us about something that needs to be healed inside of us. It's what we do with that rage that can potentially be very negative. If we feel like we have to lash out externally and hit someone or hit something or cause some sort of destruction, then yeah, rage can be very negative. But as an emotion in itself, it isn't. Because it's just telling us something about ourselves. So what I say to people is is when an, an emotion comes up that's very difficult for you, treat it like you would treat a small child that's trying to get your attention. If a small child came up to you and started like grabbing your arm and was like, Mark, I need you to I need your help, I need your help. Please pay attention, please pay attention, I need your help, I need your help. You wouldn't ignore that little child. Right? Absolutely not. No, none of us would, unless you're a horrible person and a narcissist, and that's a different story. (laughs) Um, But most of us would look at that little child and go, well, what do you need from me? What, What can I do for you? And we have to do the same thing with our emotions. I tell people, there's two questions I want you to ask yourself, your emotions, when they come up for you. Where are you coming from? And what are you trying to tell me? Because there's a message in there. And it just takes practice to get good at listening for that message. And if nothing comes up, you know, there isn't a clear message. The thing about emotions is that once you have 
given them acknowledgement, once you have allowed them to come up and to feel them and you, you acknowledge them, like, oh, I'm feeling rage right now and I'm just going to sit with it. I'm going to sit on my bed and I'm just going to be full of anger. Allow yourself to feel it because it will start to go away. Nothing bad will happen to you, I promise. And then when it's gone, it's gone. It's no longer stored in your body. It's no longer a brick you're dragging behind you. It's gone. It's done. I've heard the expression, actually, a psychologist friend of mine uh, says that anger is a secondary emotion. It is. It's sad's bodyguard. The bodyguard of sad. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the thing about working with psychedelics is, is it knocks down the wall that we put between us and feeling our feelings and processing our trauma. It knocks that wall down. It allows us to pull ourselves away from the event so we no longer have a charge to it and to process it and remember it in a way that's healthy for us. That is why it is going to be such a game changer in the mental health community because instead of just the current system just keeps people alive, right? As long as nobody's dying by suicide, they consider it a success. So they've just numbed us out and kept us in the surviving column. What psychedelics do for people is they actually go in and heal the root of your trauma. And this is the thing that I've talked about so many times, and I'm going to keep beating this drum as loud as I can. I believe that things like PTSI are a soul injury in origin. They're a brain injury secondary to the initial injury. And so much of the current mental health system is focused on the brain. And it's missing the original site of injury. And it's so important to do the brain work. Like there's so much value in it. But I equate it to like having a lawn that's nice and green, but with some dandelion heads on it. And the current mental health system is just going around picking the heads off the dandelions. Right? Doing the soul work, working with horses, working with psychedelics, doing the spiritual work. Because I'll tell you, working with psychedelics is a spiritual thing. And if we don't recognize that and acknowledge it, we miss out on about 70% of the benefit of it. The challenge is that science and what they will call woo-woo doesn't meet. But it can. But it can. It can. It's just going to take the enlightenment of the science people, truly. Well, look at quantum physics. Yep. You know, woo-woo was uh, talking about quantum physics principles 2,000 years ago. Right? Look where we're at now. Like the idea that we're all connected, all of that. And now through strings uh, theory, super string theory, uh, quantum physics, it just shows like, oh, the woo-woo was right. Just we didn't have the... The, the words, the data to, to show that. Now we need the Cadron Collider to, yeah. to, to, to show the spiritual teachings that have been correct the entire time. Exactly. So let's pay attention to that. And so when we, when we do the soul work with psychedelics, we're going in and we're digging the root of that weed out. And we're actually truly healing our wounds so that when we look at our lives from that point on, we experience that post-traumatic growth, right? We no longer have to take antidepressants. We're the best version of ourselves possible because we've had so much growth on a personal level. We're better spouses, we're better parents, and we're, we're be- we excel in life. That's, that's a reality that we can all have if we're willing to do the work. It's our entire medical system, both the psychological medical system and, uh, and just 
regular medicine. Um, they look at the symptoms, yeah. not the cause. Correct. And they think the symptoms are the cause. Yeah, and they're not. It's like, well, your dopamine and your, you know, your, your chemicals are off. It's like, dude, mm-hmm. they're off because of this. This massive soul wound that I have <laughs> that I haven't healed. That's why they're off. Well, that's why um, antipsychotics and all that, they, they, they work temporarily, but they don't work work. They don't fix anything. They're no. a band-aid. Well, we just got to balance out your chemicals in your, in your blood. No, dude. You got to fix the problem that's causing the imbalance exactly. of the calculus in, in, in the blood. Otherwise, you're, you're just chasing your tail. It's not going to yep. fix shit. No. Antidepressants are a bridge. They were never meant to be long-term treatment because they're not a treatment. They're a symptomatic treatment, but they don't actually heal people. It's, it's an aspirin for a headache. You know, it's, it's, yeah, it's, when you're actually having a stroke and that's why you have a headache, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> exactly. it's, you're not, you're not treating the root of the problem. And so that's why I say like, go in and dig that root out. And granted, like dandelions are really amazing plants and hold a lot of ecological value. So I hate <laughs> to use dandelions in that analogy. And are 100% edible from, <laughs> yes, from, from top to bottom. And very good for you. Um, but it's one that resonates with people, right? When you're only picking the head off the dandelion and you're saying, well, the lawn's really nice and green now. I've done the work. We're all just one rainstorm away from a relapse. And every time we pick the head off the dandelion, we encourage the root system to grow even deeper because the plant's threatened. Our ego gets threatened, right? So it it embeds deeper and it it sends out its roots even further because it's feeling threatened. So go in and dig the root out. I have said again and again and again that recovery is an activity, not an event. Correct. But I wonder... I wonder if there, if we are getting to a point where it could be an event. So back to the toad. Back to the toad. <laughs> this is really great. I'm glad you came back around to this. So 5-MeO-DMT. That's the medicine you were thinking of that comes off the toad. Okay. It's 100% DMT. And that absolutely can create such a catalytic event in a 15 minute period of time that your entire reality can just be flipped on its head and you can be completely changed and healed as a human being profoundly. So yeah, it can happen. I've experienced it. (laughs) I've experienced it firsthand. You know, um, one of the things you and I were talking about earlier is, is the call to work with psychedelics. There's Uh, it's so important that you get when you are working with psychedelics and you're advocating that you actually use them that you actually have experience with them and so when I talk about a psychedelic is because I've used it it's because I've experienced healing from it I would never encourage anyone to do anything that I hadn't already tried 5-MeO DMT was profoundly life-altering in the most amazing way it changed everything I thought about myself it changed everything I thought about the world and it allowed me to release like uh, you know I've had trauma in my life since I was two months old and it allowed me to release decades of trauma in in a 15 minute period of time and I and I want to be very careful when I say that things like 5-MeO DMT should only be used with a proficient provider and I'm not talking a medical person because you know uh, medical people aren't experts in everything and definitely not necessarily when it comes to psychedelics I'm talking like a shaman 
that has been working with these medicines for a long time and knows them inside and out because 5-MeO-DMT is not something you want to mess around with. If, it really feels like you're just shooting darts, though, to find a shaman. I mean, Yeah, uh, it, like, because it's so underground right now, right? Like, wh- let's say somebody is shaman shopping. Yeah. Shopping for a shaman. Shopping. Let's, yeah, let's talk about that. Okay. Shopping for a shaman. What, 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 from your experience, what makes a good shaman? So a good shaman is somebody who's already done their work, who has done, has gone down their healing journey and is not projecting any of their belief system or their ego or their trauma onto you as a, as a, as a, you know, participant. Um, Their intention behind it is so important because psychedelics attracts ego without question. There are people with significant egos that are like, well, I'm going to get into working with psychedelics because, you know, they're powerful and they attach the work the psychedelics do for people or the work that people do for themselves to their own, you know, abilities, which isn't the case. A shaman knows that it's the medicine that does the work and that they're just holding the space. So their intention, are they coming to you with truly just the purest form of love? And just wanting to see you be able to heal yourself and to to come home to yourself, right? That Ram Das saying, we're all just walking each other home. This whole, The whole thing is all about coming home to yourself and really, le- like, truly getting to know who you are and how amazing you are. So a great shaman will have experience both using the psychedelic and delivering it. They'll do so in a safe space. They'll have good intentions, pure intentions. Um, and, you know, they'll be knowledgeable about what, what they're talking about. So as soon as you kind of see any type of ego getting involved, it's a red flag. Um, people who are charging loads of money, that's a red flag. People who are saying, you know, if you sign up for this, then you have to sign up for all of these other ones and you have to pay me up front. That's a bit of a red flag. Unless you're going to a retreat. That's a different story, right? But, um, you know, uh, that's the thing. Is there any kind of association? No, because it's all underground. Yeah. Right? Until it's legalized and we can do this properly, it's all underground. What's the date? I think people would have trouble getting over just the word. I know I have trouble getting over the word shaman. shaman. Yeah. uh, How would you even define that word, that title? Well, and that's the thing, is it's just a title. There are so many different names for the people that provide medicine. It can be medicine woman, medicine man. It could be shaman. I mean, there's so many different words. I just use shaman because it's the one that that people are familiar with. Um, but for some people, there isn't even a title for what they do because it's so all-encompassing. Um, but on that note, there are organizations in Canada that are you know, psychedel- national psychedelic associations, that type of thing. And so... They'd be they they have a lot of information on psychedelics, but they wouldn't be able to direct you to a person unless you're part of the MAPS program, and you qualify for that. And MAPS has been given exemptions to be able to use psilocybin and MDMA. So what's MAPS? Oh, now you got me. Um, it's an acronym for one of the big psychedelic organizations in Canada. Okay, I can't remember what it stands for. I should know this. That, that's okay. Yeah. You know, just. Uh, don't need to know what it stands for, just what it is. Yeah, and so basically they're applying for exemptions and doing studies on psychotherapy, um, psychedelic 
psychotherapy. So MDMA and psilocybin. And so they're doing things on a trial basis in a clinical setting and they are really pushing the movement forward. So if you're looking for that, um, MAPS is actually a really great place to start looking at how psychedelics can benefit you and even potentially provider, right, if, if you qualify. So that's where I would go. What do you think of the um, synthetic psychedelics that are being built, like the synthetic psilocybin? Yeah. You know, I haven't experienced it, so I don't have an opinion on it right now. Probably a wise way to go. Yeah. I'm um, I'm a little bit skeptical because once you synthesize something that's not supposed to be synthesized, yeah. like to me, it's it's supposed to be from nature. It's perfect the way it is. Yeah, I think there's there's a huge push to medicalize psychedelics right now, and and I think on the plus side of that, it's going to allow people access to psychedelics that wouldn't otherwise have it. The negative side of that is it's not a medical experience. You know what I mean? Like it's not, it's not a medical experience. It's a spiritual experience. And so when you try and medicalize it, you're taking so much away from it. You know, they're, they're, the reason they're synthesizing it is because they want to be able to determine the potency of it and be able to get a perfect dose. So it's controlled every single time. So when you give somebody, you know, uh, a dose, you know exactly what the potency is. Which I can understand for MDMA or, um, but for psilocybin, you can't overdose on it. It can't kill you. It can't kill you. It can cause you to have a psychotic break if you take too much. <laughs> yeah, but what can't? Um, oh, that's uh, just it. You know, uh, alcohol can. I've seen a yeah. psychotic break on alcohol. Yeah. I didn't know that that's what it was. Yeah. But I had to physically restrain somebody that I did not want to physically restrain. Yeah. Because he was nuts and would not, would not calm down. And um, he was going to hurt himself or somebody else. And that was from alcohol. Yep. I was sure it was something else, but uh, no, it alcohol wasn't. Alcohol can absolutely, I see it all the time at work. Yeah, sure. Where we have to sedate them. Yeah. Because yeah, they just, they're, they've lost their control. mind. Yeah. But the thing about the, the mushrooms, this is going to sound crazy, but bear with me. Try me. Psilocybin has an inherent wisdom. It I is, believe that, it's actually. It's far smarter than even a lot of people on the planet. So we have to trust in the inherent wisdom of these plants. They carry a huge amount of intelligence and wisdom with them. That's, what, that's why they work. It's not because there's a psychoactive compound in it. It's because they are connected to everything. And so we gain all the wisdom and insight because of that, not because of the psychoactive compounds. If we're synthesizing them, we're taking that huge portion, that connection to Mother Earth out of it. And potentially all of the wisdom that comes with that. Like with the mushrooms, I'm always super, you know, grateful to them. Like I always have a little gratitude prayer to them for for their inherent intelligence, their wisdom and everything that they give me. We can't really do that when we synthesize portions out of it, right? We disconnect. And... Again, this is an example of where the doctors would roll their fucking eyes and go, woo, woo. I'm going to tell you they don't know what they're talking about. I am. And I, I, I'm with I you on that. I will say that, and I don't have any problem saying that. They don't know <laughs> what they're talking about. Well, it's just a, because it's just because you don't understand something doesn't mm-hmm. mean that it's not real, mm-hmm. and it doesn't mean that there's not a way for you to understand it. There is a way for you to understand it. Go do it. Go do it. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty straightforward. There's things in this life you cannot... 
explain. You can't explain an orgasm to somebody. Nope. You can't explain skydiving to yeah. somebody. You can't explain war to somebody. Yeah. And you can't explain um, a psychedelic you experience. Can't. I've had, I've had, you know, obviously over the last two years, I've had my fair share. <laughs> and I'm still not good at describing. Because the truth is, it's different for everybody. And it's so profoundly unique that there is nothing that really compares to it. You know what I mean? It's like you can't, you just can't know unless you do it. And I think, um, you know, when you're looking at potentially doing psychedelics in a therapeutic setting, you need to be a bit discerning. You need to ask yourself some questions about your provider. Are they my provider because they're a healthcare professional or are they my provider because they're called to psychedelics? Do they have experience working with psychedelics? Have they tried them themselves? For, for most people, they're not going to be able to find, within the next few years anyway, access to a clinical version of psychedelics. So they're, ketamine. They're going to have to, well, ketamine is coming up. There's a, a ketamine clinic opening, uh, and that's what we're going to be talking about tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, it, the first one of hopefully a chain is going to be opening in Calgary. So ketamine is sort of blazing that trail. But for most people, um, the quickest access to psychedelics is going to be magic mushrooms, either mm-hmm. growing them th- themselves, uh, which I've done, worked out really well. Um, so let's talk about the different types of mushrooms. So the ones that you like are called the golden teachers. Is that what they're yeah, called? Yeah. And the reason I like them is because they have more of a shamanic experience and less of a hallucinogenic experience. Like you'll still see things, don't get me wrong, but that isn't the bulk of your experience. It's a very godlike experience, and, and honestly, it's the closest thing to ayahuasca that I can compare it to. It was my experiences with ayahuasca and psilocybin were so similar. Yeah, but the mushrooms are not all created equal at all. No, they're, they're different di- strains do different things. Different things, different experience, different ride. Um, com- very, very different experience. Are there bad mushrooms? Are there bad psychedelic mushrooms? I don't think so. Just different, they all serve a purpose. Just different, just different ones. <laughs> it's just about doing your due diligence. Like, uh, you know, when I say working with psychedelics, for me, it's it's similar to the way I look at giving a medication to a patient at work. It's make sure you're taking the right dose at the right time for the right reason um, and the right route. You know, there's multiple ways to to ingest psilocybin, and I think being responsible, doing your homework. And making sure that you have a sitter. It's so incredibly important to make sure that you, if you're just not getting into it, to have a sitter there to make sure that you have someone to chat with and someone to help you. And, and uh, it makes a profound difference having someone else there. I did a hero dose with um, uh, about, what was it, six or seven grams? Yeah, you I just swung for the fences. <laughs> Do you remember what I said to you afterwards? <laughs> I don't actually. Oh, so what are you doing? <laughs> but uh, it, it was a good ride. It was, yeah. um, and I learned a lot. It was, it, it was, it was really wonderful. But I had a sitter. I had uh, a bathroom nearby and yep. a puke bucket right beside me, just in yep. case, which I did not need. Good. Which was interesting. Which means that enough had shifted by then that uh, my body had already done a fair bit of healing. Didn't need to purge. Didn't need to purge, which mm-hmm. is cool. Because um, I've done smaller doses uh, recreationally, not understanding uh, the positive effects of it, and the gut rot was terrible. The gut cramps were just not yeah. not worth the experience because of the gut cramps. But do you know why that's happening? 
energy shifting. Yeah, so much energy is shifting. And we actually have a bigger brain in our gut than we do in our brain. You know, and again, here's another woo-woo that is actually not Mm -hmm. woo-woo. Science is saying it's your biome. Um, It's about your gut. Matter of fact, got a book right here. They all come down. Yeah, <laughs> uh, gonna have her on the show here um, this week, I think. Actually, uh, or no, uh, June second. Um, Bonnie Kaplan, she's at uh, uh, University of Calgary. Mm-hmm. The Better Brain. So, all about uh, overcome anxiety, combat depression, reduce ADHD, and stress with nutrition. Yep. How about that? But that's the thing. We have more neural pathways in our gut than we do in our brain. So we actually have more inherent wisdom and knowledge in our gut than we do in our brain. And the difference is in our brain, we think, and in our gut, we feel. And, you know, when they say trust your gut, it's actually literal. I, um, you have so much wisdom. And you do there. feel in your heart. Yeah. Like you, you also have a brain in your heart. You do. Yep. I had uh, open heart surgery when I was 29. So actually cracked me open, ripped mm-hmm. out my heart. Fixed it, shoved it back in. Showed it to you. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. took a bite out of it. Yeah. And uh, I was so freaking, emo- you know, um, the the experience was like the, the sky was more blue. The, mm-hmm. um, uh, the birds chirping, the beauty of children walking by. And I was crying, brushing my teeth, yeah. you know, and this lasted for months after because um uh, of the uh, uh, of the experience and i don't think those are uncommon nope. symptoms after open heart surgery yeah i mean and that's exactly what i experienced coming back from mexico after doing the 5 meo dmt everything was brighter the sky was bluer i was fully present and experiencing things like i was a small child for the first time you know like the beauty and everything and the connectedness to everything you hear about people having those experiences, like after a near-death experience or a stroke that's impacted their left side of their brain or, yeah, anything like that that's profoundly life-changing. I, I have felt that after some energy work, like uh, cranial, yeah. cranial sacral or Reiki, yeah. where you walk outside and it's like, it's a, it's like everything goes from uh, like a blurry old movie from the 60s to uh, HD, ultra HD, yeah. you know, um, it's... It's incredible. It's a different world. And after that energy would last like an hour, then you're like, oh, I know right? that was nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's so many things that can do that. Breath work, meditation, yoga, working with horses, psychedelics, near-death experiences, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. profound. And when you experience it, you're like, oh, I want to live here forever. You've got some new things uh, coming up with psychedelics, don't you? You got some new news? Oh, yeah. So I just wanted people to be aware of the ketamine clinics that are opening up in Calgary um, because those are going to be game changers. Uh, I am looking to transition into that field and that's that's where my heart is. And so that's where I want to be going. Um, but yeah, I, I wanted people to know like if you are resistant to using psilocybin because of where we're at legally that's completely understandable um but the fact that we'll have access to ketamine is going to be a game changer for people because it's going to do a couple of different things ketamine works as an antidepressant 
And it also has the potential to create those profoundly life-changing experiences where you can process trauma in a way that is healthy and and put it to bed. So um, yeah, there's a couple of clinics opening up in Calgary here shortly. And I'm just so excited that people are going to be able to have access to it finally. To be able to do it safely. Yep. and In a um, controlled setting with a doctor and a psychologist. Have you had a ketamine experience? I haven't. And it's not because I wouldn't do it. It just hasn't yeah. happened yet. From what you know, what is ketamine most closely related to oh that's a good question because it is i mean it is derived from fungi i believe at its base but then of course it's a it's a synthesized um drug so because i haven't experienced it myself i don't really know which which other one it would be similar to um it depends on the dose too with ketamine ketamine has really interesting ranges of therapy that do different things so we use it at work on the ambulance and we'll use it for pain management because it actually creates a dissociative experience. Um, so we can use it for pain management. We also use it for induction of intubation. And so if you give the dose slowly, it works as a great pain manager because it completely dissociates you from your pain. If you give it rapidly, you will have an out-of-body experience and go spend some time with God. Not that you will die, you won't. Ketamine is a very, very safe drug, which is why it's also going to have a huge amount of benefit because there's very little risk to giving it. But you will go meet yourself as a soul in in the universe, in the stars, you know? like <laughs> Yes, please. Yeah, right? So if you give it rapidly, it will cause that effect. And so when you're working with it in a therapeutic setting, not only do you have the antidepressant properties, but you can also have that transcendent experience where you pull up and out of yourself and up and out of your body and you can actually see things for what they are and you can just experience like peace and you know uh whatever it is that you need to experience in that journey so are there bad trips with ketamine i mean so it's interesting you bring that up i think we can say they're bad trips if we want to you know i i could easily say i've had bad trips but i believe that what comes up is what needs to come up Mm mm-hmm and we so can, even the bad trips are good trips. Well, the, the most profound lessons that I have learned are from what other people would say were bad trips. Yeah. And that's just a label we place on things. We don't need to. I, I could say they were bad trips and I could be terrified of them and never do it again, but I don't want to do that. So I call them intense trips where I learned <laughs> a lot. <laughs> and I think that's the same thing with ketamine is, is that you can have a really intense trip that might be a scary or it might bring up things that that you'd repressed for so long that you didn't even remember them but there's so much benefit to that right so everybody i've heard that has had a quote-unquote bad trip they are always always grateful for them oh, it's like so profoundly grateful for them yeah it's just uh it's like yeah it, it was it was scary it was uncomfortable i wanted it to end while, yeah. I, while it was happening <laughs> but uh once the dust settled gratitude because it's exactly what i needed that's exactly it. And I've had probably four or five of those experiences where I thought I was going to crawl out of my own skin. They taught me so much. They were profoundly life-changing and I am extremely grateful for them. Would I want to do them again? Nope. <laughs> no, thank you. But they they altered the landscape of my brain and they altered the, the way I feel about myself. So. so let's dig into that a little bit. Jessica, before she reached out for help and started down this road 
suicidal ideations, depression, mm-hmm. the, the whole nine yards, just a miserable life and just a, a terrible way to exist. Yep. And Jessica now, um, what lessons would you say, like what actual things do you see differently now that that is healthy and helpful as opposed to what it was before, which was toxic. Mm-hmm. Like what sort of mind shift, mind shift, uh, perspective shifts, um, that you've had. So the biggest one is that because I was able to heal the trauma, I've been able to release it. So I no longer have a story that goes along with the traumatic events that I've, that I've been through. I'll talk about them and there's no emotional charge to it anymore. So it's just an experience that I had versus a traumatic event that has shaped me. And that I identify with. And, and the reason why that's important is because the things that used to just set me off no longer do. I'm so much more content and so much more at peace with things because they just, they don't bother me anymore. You have an example? <laughs> I do, but well, so like as an example, getting a late call at work. Okay. Right? You pick somebody up, they've called, they've called us for something and it's just, total bullshit and you know you're going to get an hour of overtime so now you're looking at a 13 hour shift you know and you have somewhere to be and, and your plans have been ruined and like I would be 10 out of 10 raging just so over the top angry about this person imposing on me and wasting my time and why would you call 911 for that and we had that happen after a long night shift and it would have been yeah like we should have been home and we're loading this patient in the back of the ambulance and He's somebody I would have just been super angry at in the past and really frustrated with. And I remember closing the doors of the ambulance and and just being like, huh, like I'm not even mad. I don't even care. Like, this is so awesome. I'm not, ah, this is great. I'm not angry anymore because anger can really have so much power over us and can completely control us if we're not aware of it. And it controlled me. And so to be able to release that control of, that anger had over me and take my power back, it was like, ah, oh, I'm not even mad. It was the perspective shift because yeah. you, 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 you realized that it wasn't personal, that no. their actions weren't about me. Is that what the shift was? That was part of it, but it was even deeper than that. So that's the interesting thing about, about that kind of therapy When we focus on talk therapy and on the brain, we believe that we have to come to some sort of cerebral understanding, some sort of comprehension, right? We have to understand it on an intellectual level to be able to put it to bed. And when you do work with psychedelics, you don't. You don't have to comprehend anything. You don't have to cerebrally understand anything. There's no comprehension. The healing work just gets done and you just accept it. So who knows? But I just accept the fact that those things no longer piss me off. And it's so great not to be controlled by my anger. You know, sometimes you'll have profound insights like what you just said, where you realize, you know, it's not about you. My interaction with with other healthcare providers, you know, that's a great example where I realize that it really has nothing to do with me. I was taking the way that they treated me personally. We get treated quite badly and especially by other healthcare professionals. And I took it so personally. And now I'm just like, meh, that's a you problem, you know? So in that, in that sense, there was like a cerebral understanding of like, oh, I've been able to let that go. It has nothing to do with me. But a lot of it, there is no understanding. It just is. You just know like, hey, I'm no longer pissed off about everything. My rage doesn't control me anymore. I'm not lashing out. I'm not reacting to everything. I'm just like, 
I can go home and go to bed because I'm not pissed off, you know? It's a place of acceptance and compassion, really. Yeah, you know, hugely compassion. When you, it's, it, it's not easy and it seems antithetical, but when you replace really what is judgment, because that's what we're yes. doing, we're judging. Yep. Um, you're so right. Like, you're such a cocksucker. What the fuck is wrong with you? We're judging. <laughs> Why are you so stupid? <laughs> Why are you so stupid? Learn to drive. That's Jesus Christ. Why are you the so fuck stupid? is wrong with you? <laughs> when we're doing that, you know, stupid fucking people, what's wrong with them? They just have no under- yeah. understanding. Yeah. It's like, wait a second. Did you hear what you just said? Yeah. They have no understanding. That's right. So let it go. Let it go. Yeah. If they knew better. They do better. So you're replacing judgment with empathy. I'm replacing judgment with empathy and compassion, or worst case scenario, I'm replacing judgment with acceptance. Yeah. I just accept it is. Not tolerance. Not tolerance. Not tolerance. Acceptance. Acceptance. I accept the fact that I now have to take this person to the hospital because they're insisting on going, even though they don't need to, and I'm going to be an hour late getting home on top of already a 12 hour busy shift, but I just accept it. Like, and I don't even have to go through that thought process. I just feel it in my body. I accept. It's it's funny. It's the same tool with physical pain as it is with emotional pain Mm -hmm. is to not try to tolerate it Mm because then you're, you're holding back the flood, Yep. but accepting it and letting it flow through. Surrender. Surrender to the pain. And then it isn't, it doesn't bother you. And that, exactly. And that's a huge aspect of healing too, right? Probably one of the biggest aspects is that we're fighters. We've been taught to fight through things our whole lives, right? And especially in our professions, fight through it, fight through it, fight through it. And healing is the opposite. You have to surrender to it. You can't fight through it. You surrender to it. And that's one of the biggest shifts that happened for me was to surrender to it. That gets rid of the fear, the anger. Resistance. And people are scared of feeling the feelings. Mm -hmm. But surrendering to it, and it takes the power away from it. It does. It it gives you all of your power back. It's like Mm jujitsu. You know, instead of block, punch, block, punch, um, you can redirect or not even. Just surrender. Exactly. Just surrender and accept. And that's such a huge part of healing is when you stop fighting and you surrender to it. It's it's funny. Those that uh, know me best or they're like, Mark, you don't do that. It's like, hang on. Sometimes I do that. <laughs> when I need to. Because sometimes it's necessary to fight. Well, sometimes the cheese slips off the cracker. Yeah. Right? Um, I still don't have not been doing well with if I feel ambushed. You know, mm. if something catches me and, and I'm not, my feet aren't planted. Yeah. Uh, not good. No, me too. I'm the same way. Not not long ago, um, I was having a great time. Everything was good. And then I get a phone call, somebody yelling at me and, and threatening me and saying, if you don't move your car, I'm going to call the cops. And, and I'm like, why are you always such a dick? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and, uh, but I was not able, because I was elevated, yeah. to, to react with empathy. Uh, so... Uh, when I went and 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 confronted him, yeah. uh, and I was still trying to be nice and kind, and um, but I was elevated. Yeah. It's, it's like you just threaten me, uh, and I'm doing nothing wrong, and you just accuse me of three things, none of which I'm doing. Mm-hmm. You know, just like let's talk, man. And uh, then he uh, roars at you, cocksucker. 
And then I challenged him to a fight. (laughs) That sounds exactly like something I would do. (laughs) It's like, well, okay, let's go. You want to be aggressive with me? I can be aggressive with you too. So despite, the reason I'm sharing that is because despite all the work that I have done, despite 112 episodes of this show, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I've made some great strides and I'm doing better in so many ways, but I still fuck up. Yeah. And um, I'm sharing that because people that are uh, uh, listening, it's okay to fuck up. Mm. As long as you, one, realize that it was a fuck up. Yeah. And two, do your best to work through that, to to replay it, figure out what went wrong, what went short-circuiting, and do better next time. Exactly. I mean, we're here to have a human experience, right? And part of that is, is... not being perfect like there's there's something so perfect about not being perfect so yeah. you know we're gonna go through those like i still have my moments where i'm like yeah okay we're gonna fight or you know <laughs> i still get really angry sometimes at people or i have my days where i'm depressed but you know 80 percent of the time now i feel great and so that's what i hold on to but i also accept that 20 percent of the time or 30 percent of the time if, it, if i'm going through a rough period i'm not at my best and i'm okay with that like I can hold that compassion for myself because I know that I will try and do better. Back to healing is an activity, not yeah. an event. Fitness is a big part of it for you. Fitness and horses. Those are the two mm. big things. And and to be honest with you, the fitness with COVID restrictions has just been like, I can't even remember the last time I worked out. But it when I was going through the worst of my relapse, fitness was what I connected to because it was a constant I was like an untethered balloon floating in the sky. I had no plan. I had no attachment. I had no way to ground myself. I had no sense of security. So I was just sort of floating around aimlessly in this like smog of depression, looking for a source of light. And fitness was something that I could anchor into because I could schedule it. And it was the one of the things that I could use to, to motivate myself to get out of bed and to leave the house and to connect with other people. And then, of course, there's the whole science behind how it benefits your brain and your body and the endorphins it releases. And then it was also just being able to sort of take control of something that was also super powerful. So I just realized who was parked outside my house. <laughs> I'll have to give them a call later. Yeah. Uh, the appliance repair guy. Yeah. Um, fitness. This is a really good example and an opportunity to... Um, and I hate using the word excuses, but it's what they are when we say, well, the gyms are closed, That's what. so therefore I can't be fit. Yeah. Do you have a floor? Yeah, exactly. If you, if you have a floor, you can do push-ups. Yeah. If you can't do push-ups uh, up against the stairs or a counter, you can mm-hmm. do push-ups. Body weight squats. If you can't do a chin-up, that's fine. You can do partial chin-ups. You can do quarters. You can resistance do f- bands. Resistance bands, flexed arm hangs. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dollarama has all kinds of resistance bands for cheap because yep. it's Dollarama. Um, uh, you know, these are, there's always a way. Improvise, yeah. adapt, and overcome. Yes, I prefer a gym. Yes, I prefer the social aspect yeah, of it. I was going to say, for me, it's a sense of community that I had working out, right? Training it, with a group of people. And absolutely. Keeping each other motivated. That's definitely been hard. I see other people that are doing it that are totally jacked and they didn't start out that way. And I think, okay, right on. This is, this is my peeps. This is my crowd. Uh, it's inspiring to me to Mm -hmm. see others that are doing it and, and being part of that community. 
improvise, adapt, and overcome. There's Instagram, you know, <laughs> all, yeah. the, all these fit people uh, going to the gym every day or doing whatever they can. Uh, Costco, the, the dumbbell set, 200 pounds of dumbbells for 250 bucks. That's as cheap as you're going to find anywhere. Yes. And, you know, pick up a set of that. Do you have a floor? Then you can work out. And um, there's always a way. Get on your bicycle, What whatever it is, yeah. something. Go I got for an arm, a walk. I got an arm wrestling table in the garage. That's uh, so I try to tailor things to arm wrestling, you know, stuff like that. But there's there's ways is the point. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And that's the thing it's it's creativity and motivation. And I think for a lot of people, that's probably been the biggest hit is the motivation to be able to do it. Right. I know yeah. for me personally, that's the thing I've struggled with the most is the motivation to do it to to create workout plans for myself with improvised materials and to stay consistent. And I just haven't done it. I've just given myself a break from it. Um, But it has been a crucial and key part to, to me staying alive. Like it's interesting when I look at, when I look at my experience, I equate it to like a bad car wreck, you know, developing my injury and living with it was like being in a really bad car accident And, you know, when you extricate somebody from a vehicle and you put them in the ambulance, you start doing things for them to try and keep them alive, right? You give them TXA or you give them fluids and you might intubate them to breathe for them and you might splint broken bones and and you'll try and stop any external bleeding Um, and you keep them alive and you get them to the hospital. And then in the emergency department, they might decompress your lungs and they might put a chest tube in and they might give you drugs to reduce the swelling in your brain. But the ultimate goal is to get you into surgery. And so for me, fitness was one of those things. It was like a blood transfusion or, you know, like a chest tube. It was something that was done that kept me alive. The surgery was psychedelics, but, you know, doing the energy work, right? Working with the horses, all of those things were, were the equivalent of a blood transfusion or, you know, like I said, a chest tube or medication to stop the swelling in my brain. They kept me alive so that I could go into surgery and be successful and survive surgery. Uh, let's talk about uh, your equine therapy uh, practice. What's the name of it? Prairie Skies? Prairie Sky Equine Assisted Therapy. And how does somebody get a hold of you? So you can email us at info at pseat.ca. So it's info at pseat.ca. Papa Sierra Echo Alpha Tango. Tango. .ca. Yes. So we were uh, really, really lucky that we've been able to launch our PTSD OSI program for first responders and military personnel. We've already run through one group of four and they've graduated. Now we're on our second group of four and we'll be able to run for at least the next year. So what that looks like is myself and a psychologist are co-facilitating this really beautiful program. And I created it. I wrote the curriculum for it and then had psychologists kind of give me their two cents on it. But the important thing is it's first responder first. It's from our perspective of what we need for healing, which doesn't really get taken into account a lot of the time. We get told a lot of the time by professionals what we need and not to be confused with coming up with a plan for people who don't know how to help themselves and, and aren't in the mind space where they can come up with their own plan. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about the fact that uh, we've been told what is best for us for so long. And now we're starting to understand that actually we can tell you what is best for us. And so I wrote the curriculum from that standpoint and then had psychologists go over it to make sure that it was, it was good and best practice. 
And so we have class every Tuesday and Thursday morning for three weeks. And then after that, you get enrolled into Wayfinders Wellness. And so we have monthly peer support meetings with all the graduates from the program out at the ranch at Wayfinders Wellness. And then all of the participants have access to all the different components of Wayfinders, which is significant. Like they have just about everything you can think of out there, right? So now you have access to weekly activities with first responders. And uh, yeah, it's it's been really amazing to watch. The horses are so profoundly intelligent and they're such good healers. And it's been really neat to watch people go through the program and watch those shifts in themselves, you know? It's absolutely beautiful and it's a beautiful ranch. Yeah, so we operate out of Springbank at a place called Sunrise Farms. Okay. And so that's where the first three weeks is. And then the fourth week is, is your peer support meeting. And then every month after is all out at Wayfinders. Beautiful. Yeah. Jessica, thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It's been great talking to you. It was good. It's um, uh, We've had more practice. We've got a lot more episodes and we've got a lot more uh, uh, distance behind us. So uh, I really enjoyed this chat. I thought we we got into things in such a great way. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of value here. So I uh, uh, for those that are listening, this is such an important episode, such an important conversation. Please do your part and just share. Share, share like the sugar bear because sharing is caring. All right. Thanks, Jessica. Thank you. everybody thanks for tuning in now i've got a favor to ask you and i know everybody asks for the same favor but it's really really important if you can help do your little bit by going to apple podcasts leaving a rating and a comment that would be awesome also on your favorite podcast platform whether that be spotify anchor google podcasts or whatever floats your boat and blows your hair back please click follow and if there's a option there for rating please do so and this is why every time you click like leave a rating leave a comment what happens is that it makes it easier for other people to find this podcast the help that you can't find doesn't help at all so help other people find this so that they can help themselves thank you thank you thank you and as always share share like the sugar bear because sharing is caring Thank you.